You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, The first headline I saw about the monkeypox outbreak, I didn't think I needed to read it. I thought, oh my God, I am plagued out at the moment and nothing in this headline makes me think I need to read past the headline, which most people don't do, whatever the story is. We scan the headlines, we skip most of the actual news stories. All of us do that. Even news junkies like me do that. You can't read everything. But I started reading. It's a viral infection related to smallpox. Sounds kind of unpleasant. Rarely deadly. First seen in monkeys, hence the name, but you don't get it from monkeys. Last time anyone got it in the United States was in 2003, and it was from a prairie dog. And it's almost always seen in people who have visited West or Central Africa or been in close contact with an infected person who has recently visited those parts of Africa. It's also really hard to catch. It's not as infectious as COVID. It's not airborne. Sometimes mistaken for the flu at first. Aches and pains and a fever, swollen lymph nodes, but then a rash and pus-filled blisters follow and there were pictures and ick. Anyway, I kept reading, even though I didn't feel like monkeypox was something I personally needed to be worried about. And the headline certainly didn't make it seem like it was something I needed to worry about. But I like to be informed, even about things that don't have anything to do with me. I'm also Catholic and a bit of a hypochondriac. And I like to worry about things that shouldn't worry me. A man needs a hobby. So I kept reading. And then... 15 paragraphs into this story, I learned that almost all of the cases in this outbreak, and now 15 countries all over the world, all at once, which has never been seen with monkeypox before, this outbreak, which is freaking the fuck out of scientists at the World Health Organization and the CDC, all of these cases seen in the UK, US, Spain, Canada, Belgium, Australia, Austria, Israel, Switzerland, have been among gay and bisexual men. Oh, so this is something I might need to worry about. And it's something other gay and bi men might need to worry about. But they won't know to worry about it unless they keep reading past the headline and right down to the 15th paragraph, which most people, gay or straight, don't do. Seems to me that they're kind of maybe burying the lead on this whole monkeypox thing. Seems to me that the people most at risk, gay and bi men, most need to be informed. The gay thing, maybe it didn't belong in the headline, but it should have been in the subhead or given a poll quote, something. But you wouldn't know that. NBC News put out a piece today that didn't mention it in the headline or the subhead or a poll quote. I literally just read this piece right now, right as I was about to sit down and record the symptoms and causes of monkeypox infections, which the CDC calls an emerging issue. That is the headline reading, reading more than 80 cases, 15 countries, rare disease, usually contained to central and West Africa. Now one man in Massachusetts has come down with it. Another man in New York city, neither has any connection to a person who has visited Western central Africa, blah, 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 reading, reading, reading paragraph six. Disease experts have not pinpointed precisely how the virus is spreading. All right. It has been established. I have established that most people won't read past paragraph six. 
So most people aren't going to get to paragraph 18 in that NBC News story. 18. No one reads to paragraph 18. Not even copy editors read to paragraph 18. And here's what paragraph 18 begins with. Many of the newly identified cases in Europe are among men who have sex with men. In another story I read about monkeypox, a researcher was quoted as saying that they were afraid of being honest or direct or straightforward about the gay and bi connection because they didn't want homophobes using this story to stigmatize or attack gay and bisexual men. News organizations appear to be following their lead and doing the same thing, burying this detail halfway down through their stories or failing to mention at all that this outbreak seems to be entirely taking place among gay and bi men. Early in the AIDS crisis, public health officials and news reporters didn't raise the alarm about a new disease because they didn't care about gay or bi men. They didn't care whether we lived or died. Now they're failing to raise the alarm because they care about us too much, so much so that they don't want to hurt our feelings or accidentally hand ammo to anti-gay bigots who, if they don't have something real to twist and demagogue about, will just make shit up. See the whole groomers thing of the last few months? Over the weekend, Joe Biden said everyone should be concerned about monkeypox. And he's right. Everyone should be concerned. But gay and bi men should be especially concerned. And Biden didn't mention gay or bi men in his comments. And gay and bi men weren't mentioned in the Reuters piece about Biden's comments. In that NBC News story I mentioned earlier, a medical officer at the CDC, Dr. Agam Rao, is quoted it's probably premature and potentially even harmful to assume that there are only cases within that community, meaning among gay and bi men. She added, the story goes on, that overrepresentation of this group may simply be a product of skin-to-skin -skin contact within a tight-knit community. Hey. While not easily transmitted through casual contact and while not considered a sexually transmitted infection, turns out it's pretty easy for someone who has monkeypox to transmit it to someone who doesn't during sex, which is what appears to be happening among gay and bi men. And health officials like Rao and presidents like Joe Biden would clearly be more comfortable talking about monkeypox or want to talk about monkeypox in a way that suggests that everyone is equally at risk which wasn't true about HIV back then and doesn't appear to be true about monkeypox right now. I saw a tweet over the weekend about how the average gay man has way more sex than even the hottest straight guy. A tweet that was going kind of viral, viral, oh my God, that word, with a lot of boosts and retweets from other gay men, from gay men on Twitter. Guys, my fellow gay and bi men, we can't have it both ways. Yes, we have better sex and more sex than most straight guys do for all sorts of reasons, not because we're gay men, but because we're gay men. Straight men would do everything gay men do if straight men could, but straight men can't because women won't. And there are upsides to all this gay stuff to being gay and bi. If you like sex, if you like having a lot of it, ask your doctor if being gay might be right for you. But more sex means more sexual contacts, more sex partners, and more sexual contacts with more sex partners means more sexually transmitted infections. That's not homophobia. That's math. 
We need to be better about testing disclosure and seeking treatment. And gay and bi people are generally better about all of those things, as public health officials have been saying for decades. Gay and bi men are more likely to seek treatment, more likely to cooperate with contact tracing, more likely to take their meds. But we can't test, disclose, and seek treatment for something that we don't know we're at risk for because doctors and news organizations are afraid to put it in a headline because they don't want to be accused of homophobia. We shouldn't have to read 18 paragraphs into a news story about a health crisis to learn that we are most at risk and that this is a moment when we may need to be careful out there. I don't want to be alarmist. Maybe it's too late for that. Maybe I've been alarming already. I don't want to be alarmist. We're talking about 100 cases in 15 countries around the world. But gay and bi men need to know right now to watch out for the symptoms Gay men from all over the world are heading to Chicago for IML this weekend and to circuit parties all summer. All this pent-up demand after two years of COVID lockdowns. This weekend, those gay and bi men need to know that this disease is spreading. Guys need to know what the early symptoms are. A mild fever, headaches, muscle aches, swollen lymph nodes. And that if they have these symptoms, maybe they should stay home But with monkeypox being so hard to transmit, you don't even have to stay home. I think you should, but you don't have to. Transmitting monkeypox is hard. Not transmitting monkeypox is easy. You don't even have to avoid people to avoid spreading monkeypox. You just have to avoid that skin-to-skin contact our community is famous for. So maybe if you get to IML this weekend and you're not feeling your best, you're not feeling 100%, keep your pants on. Or keep on your head-to-toe full rubber or full leather gimp suit. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and our guest, Randy Rainbow. Randy Rainbow returns to take some questions from my callers and to talk about his new memoir. There's a little bit of Randy on the micro and all of Randy on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Sakara, makers of life-transforming plant-rich super meals delivered to your door ready to eat. Get 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash savage or enter code savage at checkout. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print mail and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Savage. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Hey, Dan. I am calling about Something that my elderly neighbor across the hall from me shared with me that people aren't using the term girlfriend anymore because girl is apparently verboten. And I was like, oh, my God, Jim, is that why I hear people using the term partner all the time and not saying girlfriend? And I was like, that's kind of fucked up. Maybe it's been 
a long time since I've actually had a girlfriend. But I've been doing my hermit shit, and I've been rocking it well. And I come out, and I'm like, you know, man, eventually, if I'm doing it right, I'm going to have a girlfriend who's going to become either a partner or a wife. But I feel like I want to – excuse me. That's fucking rude of me. I apologize. You know what? I want the right to have a girlfriend and to call it a girlfriend and to not be peer pressured into calling it anything else but that. Hey there. It's fine with me if you get a girlfriend and you call the girlfriend that you get your girlfriend. Fine with me. So long as it's fine with your girlfriend. There may be people out there who are urging others not to use the term girlfriend because women have been called girls and infantilized for decades, for centuries. It's a way of denying women their agency, autonomy, authority, power by rounding them down to children, which the law used to do. Children were the property of their fathers. And when a woman married a man, married one of the sons who was the property of that man, she became the property of her husband, like the children were the property of the husband. So calling a woman a girl or calling the woman that you're dating your girlfriend has some perhaps negative echoes that come down through the centuries uh, in a way that me calling my in his mid-30s boyfriend, my boyfriend does not. That said, people call each other baby. People call their romantic partners baby. And they're not suggesting that their romantic partners are helpless infants. It's an affectionate way of referring to someone that you are intimate with and care about and love. You're my baby. It means I want to take care of you and hold you and cuddle you, I guess. You know, that's gross to think about too hard because, of course, you're doing things with your adult romantic partners that you call baby that you don't do, that no one but a monster would do with an actual baby. This is an alley I didn't want to go down and I'm going to turn around now and run in the opposite direction. You can call your girlfriend your girlfriend if it's okay with your girlfriend. What you shouldn't do is call your colleagues at work who are women girls or the girls. What you shouldn't do is when you want the waitress who is a professional at the restaurant where you're dining to pay some attention to you, you shouldn't say, hey, girl, you shouldn't call adult women that aren't your girlfriend girls. You certainly also shouldn't call adult women that you're not dating who aren't your girlfriend your girlfriend. Other than that, girlfriend's fine with me. And I guess I disagree with your elderly neighbor who doesn't actually factor into this discussion at all, unless your elderly neighbor is a woman and you hope to date him and want to call him your girlfriend someday. I assume all of those things are not true, which means you can disregard your neighbor's feelings about this. They are not relevant. Only your feelings and the feelings of your girlfriend to be named later are relevant. Hi, Dan. I'm a 35 year old trans man who began medically transitioning about eight months ago. Previous to that, I was an escort for 10 years. During that time, I only dated and had sex recreationally with other transmasculine people and occasionally cis women. I 
really developed a strong ability within myself to go into a fantasy world in my head when I was with my clients, which was great because it allowed me to genuinely enjoy a lot of the encounters I had. However, at the same time, I have developed a strong disassociative response to interacting with cis men's bodies in a sexual context. However, I am now finding myself with a much bigger sexual appetite than I previously had to starting testosterone and wanting to explore the possibility of sleeping with cis men recreationally, especially since now I am retired from escorting. However, I am having the problem of continuing to have a strong disassociative response, which isn't necessarily bad, but I'm just not having the experiences that I want. It feels very much akin to just fucking myself with a dildo. It's kind of like, what's the point of going to the work of meeting someone from Grindr if I'm just going to feel like it feels when I fuck myself with a dildo? So my question is, how do I reframe how I perceive and view cis men in terms of their potential to be sexual partners. To be clear, I'm not romantically interested in them. And I, in general, am just very T for T. I find a lot of magic in being with other trans people. And that's what I want for my life. I just want to have more sex. <laughs> and I do have some specific fantasies regarding cis men. They, additionally to that, a lot of those fantasies are kind of heavier consensual non-consent play, which I feel very comfortable doing with trans men, even if I don't know them very well. But I do feel a lot more caution around engaging in those types of fantasies with cis men that I don't know very well. At the same time, I'm not really interested in getting to know any cis men very well that I'm sleeping with anyway. I do have like gay cis men friends. So this is a very long-winded way of asking how do I rehumanize cis men in a sexual way and how do I bring myself back to a place of being more present with them. I think the ingredient that you're going to need to add to your relationships, and these are relationships, even if they're fleeting, I think a hookup, a one-night stand, even anonymous sex is still a kind of relationship. What you're going to have to add is affection, not romantic interest, not a romantic investment, but some affection for your cis male partners. And I guess I'm going to backtrack a little bit, some investment of time and energy in getting to know them, particularly if what you're interested in exploring with cis men is harder core, power-infused DS play, power exchange play, not something that you're probably going to feel safe doing with someone that you don't know at least a little bit and have a good feeling about because you've talked with them because you spent a little bit of time with them because you've established trust. I have described cis men on this show for 15 years as testosterone soaked dick monsters. And I don't want to make a distinction between cis men and trans men that gets me into trouble. But I do think trans men have an appreciation for what women, cis and trans, go through dating and being with 
straight, cis men. And you, as a former sex worker, probably have a much deeper understanding and appreciation for and wariness about what cis men can be like, what cis men are capable of. So to get to a place where you can have the kind of power exchange DSX that you want to have with some cis male individuals, you're going to have to get to know them. You're going to have to like them. You're going to have to trust them. I'm not saying trust cis men generally as a category. I'm not saying, hey, like us, gay cis men. I'm saying the individual cis gay men that you trust with your body and your time and your attentions, sexual, even if those relationships are going to be brief and contained, for you to really let go and enjoy those men, you're going to have to risk getting to know them. And drawing a distinction between a romantic interest, an expression of romantic interest, and getting to know someone a little bit, getting to appreciate them, and getting to a point where there is some affection that leavens the attraction. So it isn't just about the sex, that you see them not just as dildos, but as people, just as you would like to be seen as a person, but also as objects too, because you are objectifying cis men. And I don't have a problem with objectification. I think we are also objects. We are dust, we are space rocks, right? And it can be an empowering thing to be objectified by someone who can do both things at once, objectify you and still have it in their head that you are a person with feelings that they have to take into account and remember and keep in the front of their mind, even as they're enjoying you as an object or you're enjoying them as an object. It might also help if you kept in the forefront of your mind, if you reminded yourself, if this was a little bit of a mantra before you hooked up with the cis men that I hope you're going to get to know a little better before you play with them in the future, remind yourself that one of the things that distinguishes the cis men that you're fucking around with now from the cis men who were your clients when you were a sex worker is that you get to choose them. Now, sex workers get to reject clients who make them feel uncomfortable, but sex work often means sleeping with, having sex with people that you wouldn't choose to have sex with if they weren't paying you for sex. And in that sense, you didn't choose your clients, they chose you. Now, when you sleep with cis men, now that you're not doing sex work anymore, these are guys that you've picked. Get to know these guys a little better. Get to know them as people. Find guys that, again, no romantic spark, no romantic attraction or intention, but some affection and an ability to communicate with them about what you want and what it's gonna take when you have the kind of sex with them that you want to have for you to feel safe and seen. And then you are likelier to see them, those guys, those cis men as something more than dildos. Feeling your best starts with what you eat. Sakara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious plant rich transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. 
Sakara gives you the tools you need to transform your life with their organic, ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. Their nutritionally designed, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients that'll help boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door, ready to eat. Sakara's functional plant-rich wellness essentials help you create a body you love living in, from their best-selling metabolism super powder to the foundation, their daily supplement packs, Sakara's products are designed to support your wellness goals anytime, anywhere. We just got a box of Sakara at our place, breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. We had them at the house while Terry, the cook around our place, was out of town, and it was great. We felt great. They were filling delicious meals, and they got us eating more plants, which we're always trying to do at our house. We're trying to eat more plant-based meals and get off meat and Sakara helped us do that and we will be ordering more. Their meals are creative and delicious, rose petal pancakes, hydrating yakima salad, sunshine curry bowl with purple coconut sticky rice. The list goes on and on. The food really opened my mind to new healthy inventive meals. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash savage or enter code savage at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash savage to get 20% off your first order. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Go to sakara.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, 26-year-old female from the PNW here. About this time last year, I met a guy on a kinky dating website. Um, we really hit it off. We talked for the whole summer. He's gone for work for two months at a time. So he was at work while this was currently happening. And I was planning on moving to a city. And he was also planning on moving to that same city after he got back from work. So we decided to move in together after only dating for four months. I know. Let's just skip past that. <laughs> so we move in together everything's going pretty well until he starts drinking about two bottles of wine a day at least little did i know he's an alcoholic and now he has relapsed everything's okay for a little bit we're working on his drinking it's frustrating i'm doing most of the household stuff but whatever so fast forward to about last week, we get into an argument. He's been drinking. I've been drinking. I'd only had one drink. Um, I don't get loud or anything when I'm drunk. Um, apparently, he does. I have never seen him like this before. Um, he had been mean to me a few times when he was drunk, but nothing like this. He started yelling at me, calling me a bitch, all other sorts of names. He threw his wallet at me called the cops on me, even though he was the one that was yelling at me. I was just sitting there in shock. So that that happened. Before I went to bed that night, he, he quote, in, like, told me to eat shit and die. Two days afterwards, he's back at work for two months. So I'm at a point where I don't know if this is fixable or not. I have never been through something like this. I don't know if this is like normal relationship behavior that can be fixed. Little backstory, I have borderline personality di personality disorder. And I also grew up with alcoholics. So I kind of have a hard time seeing what's healthy. So if, if you could tell me anything that like what you think, if this is salvageable, if I should just get the fuck out. Yeah, any advice would be very appreciated.
This is not salvageable, and it's not your job to salvage it. It's really interesting that when you refer to his drinking, you say, we finally got his drinking under control. Like it's partly or half your responsibility to get his drinking out of control. And then when he is already committing minor acts of violence directed at you, you know, throwing shit at you, instead of saying he did that, you say that happened. He did that. He did that. You need to get the fuck away from this guy who's calling you a bitch, who's calling the cops on you, who's telling you that he hopes that you die, who relapsed, you know, started drinking again and then got sober for you with your help. That was something that you did together, getting his drinking under control and then fell back off the wagon. No, run, run and learn the lesson here. This is why you don't move in with people until you really know who they are. And you didn't know who this person was. Now you know. And now you know, if I may quote Whoopi from Ghost, now you know, you in danger, girl. You got to get out of there. And you have an advantage that a lot of people in your situation don't, in that he is gone for the next roughly eight weeks. So... You can extricate yourself easily from this relationship. You can move the fuck out. You have time to gather your things together and make arrangements for yourself and move the fuck out without him drinking and screaming and yelling and threatening and throwing things. Yeah. Yeah. This is not salvageable. Get the fuck out. Please do it now. Don't hesitate. You can't fix him. You can't save him. His drinking, his sobriety is his responsibility, not yours. Your safety, your security, that is your responsibility. Get the fuck out. This episode is brought to you by Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. Women are kind of notorious for being turned on by stories rather than visuals, erotica we read, and nowadays stories we can listen to. If you're one of these women, Dipsy has got you. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. They have stories for straight and queer folks and a diverse variety of voices. And if you're into voices like I am, it is a real treat to listen to these pros do their thing. Here are some of the categories, uh, threesomes and more, hookups, Rough and Wild, Straight Stories, BDSM, Vacation, and tons more. And here's a summary of one that caught my eye. Nadia and Quentin are strangers with a shared interest in adrenaline. Each week they plan to meet in a new place, and this time it's at the public library. But Nadia has a hard time keeping quiet. <laughs> So there you go. That might wet your whistle. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has a whole wellness section featuring some of the voice actors from the naughty stories. So Freddie from the story Secret Rooms gives a little talk on self-love. It's very cool. It affirms the idea that sex and wellness are one and the same. And they are. For listeners of the Lovecast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash savage. Dipsystories.com slash savage.
Hi, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old non-binary hetero-romantic femboy or something like that. And I'm calling with a question about privacy versus honesty. My question, in short, is am I ethically obligated to tell a future potential housemate that I am or will become an online sex worker? In context, professionally, I'm a cartoonist, but uh, I want to also become a hot slut for people to masturbate to on OnlyFans or a similar site. And I recently asked a friend to move in with me, primarily because I can't afford to live alone right now. I told him that I'm in an exploratory and experimental phase, coming out as non-binary and queer, dating uh, women and men for the first time in my life, and he was totally cool with all that. But I haven't told him that I will very likely be taking erotic photos, videos of myself in my room to put on the Internet, and that this may very well become a part of my public persona, and I have a somewhat pretty public persona already. Additionally, my kinky self has to do with things like feminization, sophistication, so there's lots of chastity cages and dildos, and I don't know if that adds anything to it, but it feels like, in any case, I'm torn. Is this just my privacy that I should respect and it's fine, it's not a big deal, or should I let him know about this wild, kinky future that I'm planning so he doesn't eventually feel like he signed up for something that he didn't know about? Joining me to help answer this question, because why not? Three-time enemy winner and New York Times bestselling author Randy Rainbow. His new book, Playing With Myself, is in bookstores and on bestseller lists now. Randy, welcome back. Thanks, honey. I'm just a three-time Emmy nominee, but I'm not going to really correct you. In fact, oh. cut this part out. Oh, okay. I correct you. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I say winner? Let's go I with winner. Nominee. I like yours better. It's I an like honor just to be nominated. <laughs> um, Randy, you just well, met both Carol both. Burnett. Barbara Streisand is a fan of yours. You perform with Patti LuPone. Why do you keep demeaning yourself by coming on my podcast? You don't need to do podcasts anymore. You know what? You're right. I'm really... Why did I even... I'm having second thoughts about this. Well, the reason I do it is because, believe it or not, well, I'm a big fan of yours. You know that. I love you to death, and I love everything you do. And my mother, more importantly, is a big fan of yours, which is why this is always kind of awkward for me, because I want to be open and answer these questions and talk about this stuff. But I know my mother's going to go listen back. Mm. I'm fortunate in that my mother is dead, so she's either hearing nothing or everything. <laughs> Um, That's so sweet. Your last video, uh, I have to say, you know, for people who don't know who you are, and I don't know anyone who doesn't know who you are, you make satirical Broadway show tunes parodies uh, about what's in the news. And your stuff is so good and smart and funny and camp and broad, but heartfelt. And you made one called Gay about the Don't Say Gay laws uh, that just passed in Florida. And you made me cry. You said that. I know you're always so sweet with your praise. I your your praise always makes me cry because you're so nice. Well, it's, well, thank you. I, I, tell me why. It, I, I don't. There was just something. It was like an anthem almost in the end. It was just like so affirming about the necessity of of, yeah. of saying we're gay and you know or trans or bi or whatever, and just being unapologetic about it and in the faces of people who would like to shut us up because. The, you know, the video you're talking back to Ron DeSantis, the horrible governor of Florida. And it just was like, it just 
I got all weepy watching it. It was just so great. And I thought of all sorts of people out there who, you know, I've been saying gay about myself for 40 years, but there are people out there who that's new, that word in their mouth, coming out of their mouths right. about themselves. And the world needs people like you showing like what a joy it is to say gay. Because when you first come out to people, that's when the shit hits the fan, right? You tell people you're gay and all the bad shit happens. Your parents freak out. You lose friends. You know, it causes problems. But the longer you live, the more people you tell it to, the more joyful it becomes. And that's what that video really captured. That's so sweet. And and as I was, you know, these things, I never really know where they're going to go when I start writing them. And it's a lot of balancing, like, how political do I want to get? How nuanced? How How personal? How... You know, and then I, I, I want it to be genuine and authentic. And ultimately, as I was, you know, making it, it did feel like an anthem. And it just, you know, I was happy to take the opportunity to just, just, you know, in the, in my, in the campiest way possible, just celebrate gay and, and being uh, yourself and not being afraid to say it. So I can't uh, wait to see what you have for us next. The world keeps getting crazier and crazier and the only upside of bad news is I get to look forward to a Randy rainbow video <laughs> tearing it apart at some point <laughs> in the future. So Randy, I listened to this guy's question and I instantly thought of you making videos in your apartment. That's essentially what he's going to be doing. That's right. He, we do have many things in common, maybe more than you know, Dan. Perhaps. Um, have you ever <laughs> I don't had know a, what I'm saying. I'm just saying. Have you ever had a roommate? You know, you have your own wonderful apartment now. You share pictures on Instagram of you and your cat. You obviously live alone. You make your videos in privacy. But did you ever have a roommate who had to deal with you dancing around the living room while you shot a video? I, as far as long as I've been doing these videos, I have lived by myself. So I never quite had that issue. But yeah, when I first moved to New York, I had plenty of roommates. And I'm sure that there was awkward kind of moments. I'm I'm torn about this call because, you know, you're talking about privacy versus. Well, what did he say? What, what was his conundrum? He's going to be making. He's going to be a porn star, and he's going to be shooting filthy, kinky videos in his bedroom in this apartment that he's going to share with this guy. And does he? Is there a duty to disclose? Does this guy? whose apartment is going to be a porn set need to know before he moves in that he's moving into well, but a he, future porn he set. He didn't, I, 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 right. I don't think that he has uh, an obligation to dispose. It sounded like this friend of his was very open and was perhaps someone who might be interested to know. I guess they have that kind of relationship. This isn't someone he just like met online to, mm -hmm. for like a roommate situation. Um, so, I don't think there's an obligation. I think that it's nice to, to share. I don't know how much this will affect the housemate. Like, is it going to, is it, is it going to be outside of the bedroom? I don't know if it, if, if, if in fact he is planning to turn the, the apartment into like a set of sorts, then, then yes, he certainly does have an obligation there. But at the same time, there's too much sharing these days, in my opinion. <laughs> and like, there's, I, I miss like the mystery of sex and the shadows. That's all gone. So I'm, I'm a little torn. The mystery, the shadows, also the surprises. Maybe the roommate would enjoy finding out in a roundabout way rather than having it disclosed in advance. When somebody says, dude, you, you, did you know your roommate's a porn star? Maybe that would be, you know, maybe the caller knows his future roommate well enough to know whether that would be tantalizing or titillating for this guy. Um, rather than having everything laid out in a legal document before, maybe he could just find out through word of mouth from people who may have stumbled over the caller's videos. Well, that, first of all, that'd be hot. 
And secondly, it doesn't sound like this person is would be any sort of threat should he find out. It sounds like it, it's a safe space, at least. So, yeah, I say less is more. And I want this guy to send me some of the videos when he starts making them because he has a sexy voice and I was kind of into what he's describing. Um, speaking of videos, speaking of, yeah. of, of hot, do you ever think about the odds that someone somewhere has masturbated to one of your videos? Because I don't think that, that those odds are zero. I don't think they're nothing. You're a good looking guy. You make these videos. They're fun. You must have fans of not just your work, but your look. I hope, gee, you know what? I never really thought about that until you just said it. I fucking hope so, though, do you think? But I that think would be so. such an odd thing to, to yeah. I mean, is, is there anything really arousing about me doing show tunes? Like, There's, I mean, maybe. Whatever exists yeah. in the world, my theory is that someone somewhere is masturbating to it right now, and you exist in the world, and you have, your videos get millions and millions of views. I just don't think... It, we can eliminate the possibility that someone somewhere not only has, but is right now masturbating to one of your videos. That would be a bigger honor than all three Emmy nominations combined. I hope you're right. But I'd also like to say that if, if that's in fact the case, I'd like them to speak up a little bit more and slide into a person's fucking DM. <laughs> because all my DMs on Instagram, you should see, they're all mothers. And I love everyone's mother, and, and they're lovely, and it's, they make up a large portion of my fan base. But my DMs are all, you know, middle-aged women telling me that they want to adopt me. And that is lovely. But I, I invite your very sexual, sexual positive audience to start sending me some dick pics, because this is ridiculous. Send Randy Rainbow some dick pics, and you may be his date at the Emmys when he wins the Emmy, not just gets the nomination. And you could be his date when he meets Carol Burnett the next time, or Barbra Streisand drops by, or Patti LuPone. So there's not just dick in it. There's all sorts of ancillary benefits to dating Randy Rainbow right now. This is a nice package I'm offering you here today. <laughs> Multiple packages, different iterations of package, different understandings. You know what package, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Randy Rainbow, his best-selling book, New York Times best-selling memoir, Playing With Myself, is out now. Check out his videos online. He's on Twitter, at Randy Rainbow. That is the best way to keep up with Randy's stuff as it comes out. Randy, thank you so much for continuing to demean yourself by coming on my podcast. And hi to Randy's mom, who is listening to us have this conversation. Hi, Randy's mom. Hi, mom. Um, thanks, Dan. I love you so much. And uh, I, I, I'm, I will never be above you. Well, maybe one of these days if I'm lucky <laughs> enough, but you know what I mean. I I'm just like to remind your your audience to send me some naughty pictures. Yeah. It's lonely over here. This is what we have here is an example of the solicited dick pic. Randy Rainbow is soliciting your dick pics. Send them. I, I'm not above it. Slide into his DMs on Twitter and Instagram. You're also at Randy Rainbow on Instagram. That's correct. Randy, thank you so much. I stumbled over you early and I was a fan from the get-go and to see the success that you've had and to be joined in my Randy Rainbow fandom by people like Barbara Streisand and Patti LuPone and Carol Burnett is so affirming of my taste, just to make this about me. And I'm, <laughs> I knew it would come back to you. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you. That means the world. And, and I, it is not lost on me how supportive you have been of me since day one. I even mention you in my book because, because of that. And uh, I love you. Thank you. I love you too. I hope you'll come back. Anytime. Hey, alert listeners, probably noticed that we misgendered that caller throughout our response. The caller is non-binary. We used he, him pronouns. Apologies 
to the caller. Apologies to other non-binary folks out there who might have been offended. Unfortunately, Randy and I could not get back on the phone to re-record our answer, and I thought the caller would appreciate getting the response, and so we ran it. But my apologies to the caller. And if you want to hear my full conversation with Randy, he hangs out, takes another question with me, subscribe to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast now at savage.love. I am one busy little sex and relationship advice podcaster. And let me tell you, figuring out how to be more efficient with my time has been an adulthood long challenge. When you're running a small business, every second counts. And yes, a sex advice podcast is a small business. You, like me, can't afford to waste a single moment. So may I ask you, if you are not already using stamps.com, why Why are you still taking time out of your day to go to the post office? Why would you do that? I would never do that. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping quick, easy, and cost-effective for all of us, whatever our business. Stamps.com saves you time, saves you money, and stress. For more than 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Stamps.com gives you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services you need right from your computer at home and get discounts at home. You can't find anywhere else. Find them at home, like 30% off USPS rates and 86% off, 86% off UPS. Streamline your shipping process with stamps.com's easy to use software. All you need is your regular computer and printer. No special supplies or equipment required. You're up and running in minutes, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. Plus, stamps.com seamlessly works with Shopify, Amazon, Etsy, eBay, and more. So whether you're an office sending out invoices, an Etsy shop sending out your lovingly homemade products, or a warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com is your mailing and shipping solution. Stop wasting time and start saving money when you use Stamps.com to mail and ship. Sign up with the promo code SAVAGE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter the code SAVAGE. Hi, I am a federal woman in the Colorado area. Um, Recently met with a new relationship and this guy's older than me, about 21 years older than me, in mid-30s, so he's mid-50s. Everything's going really, really interesting because the first night we met, we had really open conversation, which was lovely, and I have a lot of baggage, and he has a lot of baggage, so it felt like we were just open about everything, and we went back to his house after our first date, and, you know, one thing leads to another, and he pulls back, and he's like, there's something important I have to share with you. And I looked at him, and I was like, okay. And he says he cross-dresses, which I sat there, and I was like, well, that's different. I think I said, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more, right, because I've, I haven't ran into this before. And, you know, he has this whole closet full of different outfits, shoes, very big on shoes, and pantyhose. And what do I need to know? What what's 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 the knowledge here? What am I not educated on to like be that supportive partner? And you know, I enjoy all of it. And he likes dressing me up, which is great. And like, I'll take all the shoes you want to give me. But how do I navigate that? And then also like provide him with support and comfort and like 
Like, what do I not know or understand? And how does this help me expand as a person and be part of his life and connect with him? You are great. First of all, you're great. You're a wonderful partner to this guy at two months. But you are overthinking this and you're making this a lot more complicated than it needs to be. It's not so much what you need to know here. It's what you need to do. And you're already doing everything that you need to do. You heard him. You were kind of into it. You're turned on by it. You're receptive to it. You weren't obligated to be. And if a cross-dressing partner turned you off, you know, he laid his king cards down on the table early in the relationship like he should have. And you could have, if this wasn't something that intrigued or interested you or turned you off, you could have backed out of the relationship then, but it intrigues you. You're into it. And so you're doing it and enjoying it with him. You're encouraging him to dress up for you. He enjoys dressing you up too. And you like it. You like dressing up with him. You like the shoes he's sharing or giving to you and you enjoy his kink. And huh? awesome. Great. You're doing everything right. This isn't a test. There's no final exam. Uh, there's probably a lot that you could learn about cross-dressing from him. I'm sure it's something that he's thought about deeply, probably read about. He probably has some books. There may be some blogs or even podcasts specifically about cross-dressing that he listens to or books that he's read that he could recommend to you. And he really is your best resource, your best place to start. But, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't necessarily turn to him and say, give me everything to read. I want to catch up with the reading. I want to prep and cram for the final. You don't want to make him feel like he's a problem you have to solve. There's no problem here. There's nothing you have to solve. This is something about him. It's a kink that you get to enjoy and you are enjoying it, which means you are doing all the right things already. And you are getting the education that you need to get, that you're open to someone's kinks when they lay their kink cards down on the table, open to, not obligated to get into them, but you got into this and you enjoy it. Yeah. Stop overthinking it. There's no coursework that you have to do here. Enjoy him continue to draw him out, have conversations with him about it and relax. You're doing everything right. All right. Before we get to this week's listener feedback, let's read some listener tweets. Professor dad tweets when mistress Matisse said on the savage love cast, I'm Gen X and I don't really give a shit who uses what word I heard trumpets playing in admiration. You can make yourself crazy, Professor Dad goes on, quoting Mistress Matisse, you can make yourself crazy trying to police these things, or you can keep your eyes on the bigger picture. I feel so seen. Thank you, Professor Dad, for that tweet. I also feel so seen whenever I have Mistress Matisse on the show. We get on like a dungeon on fire. Spelling Belieber tweets, the greedy guy on the Savage Lovecast who is concerned that he was losing sensibility in the head really made me chuckle because contained in that malapropism is the entire reason Detra for Dan Savage's whole media empire. Of course, he meant losing sensitivity in his head, but maybe if you've got an eight inch dick and you're trying to make it bigger, you have lost some sensibility in your head already. And finally, Sarah Elizabeth tweets, if you haven't watched Minx on HBO yet, Dan, you should. Two episodes in and Lennon Parham is talking about using a vibrator during sex and how sex toys are feminist tools. 
tools. Helpful viewing for the recent caller who wants a man who is okay with her using a vibrator. All right. Thanks to everybody who tweeted or posted your other social media about the show this week. We really appreciate it. It helps spread the word about the Savage Lovecast. And if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now those listener feedback calls we can't get enough of. Hi, Dan. This is a response call to the former Mormon LDS lesbian caller concerned about her sister's pending nuptials. I was born and raised in a cult, the Unification Church, and Moonies are very similar with the indoctrination of purity culture. We're literally born into it and drink the Kool-Aid all the way up until you find out that you're not sexually compatible with the person that you are matched and married to and you've already had a bunch of kids. I, as the second of five kids, was the first to leave the church and my family and unfortunately had to watch my older sister go through a matching and a marriage to a guy from a different country. And because I had kind of been excommunicated from the church, people didn't really give a shit what I had to say. And it actually took a couple years for my sister to realize that she had made a mistake. And, you know, eventually she came around and was like, Hey, I'm so sorry. You were right. Blah, blah, blah. And that's not what I was looking for. But my advice to you is exactly what Dan said. Make yourself available to them. Kind of like with people whose family are in QAnon, make yourself available to them when they are interested in talking But ultimately, you have to let them make their own mistakes. And I know it's like watching somebody drive off a cliff, but they will grow to resent you and somehow pin the blame on you if you're more firm and coercing them away from their decision to make this mistake. All that being said, good luck. And I'm rooting for you. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. This is in response to the caller from episode 812 who was pondering her usage of the word whore and the response it elicited from a sex worker who overheard her. I'd like to add that this has to do with connotation. Because everyone's experience and history with words is different, we all have unique reactions to them, which is how we offend people unintentionally. For example, I have zero issues with the word cunt, while a lot of women find this to be the most offensive word you could call them. This word doesn't incite any negative emotions for me because I don't have any history with it. No one in my circle ever used this word, so no negative emotions arise within me when someone uses it. However, I have decades of negative history and emotions attached to words like slut and whore, so I find these words highly offensive. So to answer your question, caller, you responded the right way in the moment, and you should keep using the word whore. In the future, if you're going to use any loaded or highly emotive language in a public place where people can overhear you, whisper or choose a euphemism. This is a response for the woman in 812 who keeps getting ghosted and thinks it's because of her body count or her being kinky or something. Listen, you're not special. Dan said it already. All of us are getting ghosted out here. But to put a finer point on it, Something like 50 to 70% of dating app users have never met a single match in person, and perhaps half have no intention of ever meeting anyone in person. They're on there for the confidence boost, to procrastinate, to have someone to chat with in that moment, or just something to do while pooping. It can be hard to find somebody who actually wants to meet in person. You can't take it personally. 
Best of luck in your search. And we're going to leave it there. If you have a question for next week's show or something to say about something I said on this week's show, use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. It is the final weekend of Hump 2022 Spring Tour, and we're wrapping things up with screenings in Washington, D.C. and Baltimore and streaming online everywhere else. Didn't catch us these past few months on the road with Hump 2022 Spring Tour. Do not fret. We are right now lining up more dates for the fall Hump 2022 tour in cities like Atlanta, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, and more. Go to humpfilmfest.com for screening info, tickets, and streaming links. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Randy Rainbow on Twitter at Randy Rainbow. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy, well, I'll be back at you next week on the installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for tuning